Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, Dallas megachurch pastor T.D. Jakes has launched a billion-dollar community redevelopment effort, and we'll have some details. And a former executive at Southeastern University in Florida pleads guilty to fraud. We'll explain how the complicated fraud occurred. Also, a new survey by LifeWay Research indicates that Christians' views about tithing are shifting. We'll have details from that study. We begin today with news that popular Christian apologist John Ankerberg has been suspended from the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. The Ankerberg Theological Research Institute, which produces the popular John Ankerberg show for Christian television, has been suspended while the organization is under review for compliance with four of the ECFA's standards for financial accountability. Those standards relate to board accountability and the use of donor funds. The review of Ankerberg's organization by the ECFA comes after a former fundraising executive at the organization went public with concerns about how Ankerberg used nearly $20 million raised to fund audio Bibles. The concerns were first reported by Ministry Watch and were later the subject of a lengthy front page story in the Chattanooga Times Free Press. In his whistleblower complaint, Andrew Yeager claimed that Ankerberg had raised more than $16 million since 2016 for audio Bibles. On the John Ankerberg show, Ankerberg promised to work with an Albuquerque-based ministry called Faith Comes by Hearing to distribute audio Bibles to unreached people groups and others all around the world. But Yeager claimed that less than $3 million actually went to Faith Comes by Hearing during that time period. Yeager says that much of the money stayed within the ministry to fund the Ankerberg's use of private jets and to build the coffers of the organization. The Ankerbergs dispute Yeager's story, but only in the details. Yeah, in an interview with Ministry Watch, John and Darlene Ankerberg said that the relationship with Faith Comes by Hearing actually began in 2013, not 2016. They say that the ministry has taken in about $20 million for audio Bibles, not the $16 million asserted by Yeager. They did, though, acknowledge that only about 20% of the money ended up going to Faith Comes by Hearing, or about $4 million. Yeager also claimed the Ankerbergs have spent nearly a million dollars on the charter service NetJets and that the organization failed to disclose the use of the jets on its 2021 Form 990. Once again, the Ankerbergs did not deny that allegation. They acknowledged that they used NetJets. However, John Ankerberg said that Jaeger's $1 million figure was false, and the true cost was about half that. Darlene Ankerberg said that the failure to disclose the use of charter aircraft on the Form 990 was an administrative mistake made by the ministry's outside accounting firm, and that mistake would be fixed. 
Ankerberg's organization subsequently sued Andrew Yeager, claiming that he violated the terms of his severance agreement by keeping documents that supported his whistleblower claims, documents that Ankerberg Theological Research Institute says that he was required to return when he left the organization. Next up, the Southern Baptist Convention's effort to fill the top administrative post on its executive committee will start from scratch after members of the committee rejected Texas Pastor Jared Wellman on Monday. The vote seems to reflect concerns that Wellman, who had been chairman of the executive committee for nearly three years before resigning in April, was nominated despite being an ex-officio member of the search committee for the new CEO and president. His role on the search committee has become an issue in the days before the vote after A.B. Vines, a prominent black SBC pastor, raised concerns about the search process in a letter to the committee and in a series of tweets. Vines and other critics of the process also asked why interim president Willie McLaurin, who is also black, had been passed over by the search committee. McLaurin has served as interim since the resignation of former president and CEO Ronnie Floyd back in October of 2021. No SBC entity has ever had a top leader who was black or any person of color for that matter. And while we're talking about the Southern Baptists, there's been a new development in the upcoming election for president of the SBC. Yeah, for only the second time in more than three decades, a Southern Baptist Convention president will face a challenge for re-election. Georgia Pastor Mike Stone, who lost a hotly contested election in 2021, announced last Wednesday, April 26th, that he would accept a nomination for the presidency of the nation's largest Protestant denomination. Stone will challenge Texas pastor Bart Barber, who was elected last summer. Barber was announced as a candidate for a second term earlier this year. It's a volunteer role, the president of the SBC, and they normally serve a one-year term. However, most have been elected to a second term, uh, mostly running unopposed. This year's election will be held during June's SBC annual meeting in New Orleans. Or let's look at one more story before the break. It's the story of Dallas pastor T.D. Jakes. He announced a huge real estate deal in Atlanta and elsewhere around the country. Yeah, Bishop T.D. Jake's multi-enterprise holding company has announced a 10-year billion-dollar partnership with Wells Fargo and company to revitalize neighborhoods, foster economic opportunity, and create long-term change in communities in need all across America, not just in Atlanta. The partnership between Wells Fargo and the T.D. Jake's group, which includes T.D. Jake's Real Estate Ventures, TDJ Enterprises and TD Jake's Foundation will include, as I said, a billion dollars in financing from Wells Fargo, as well as grants from the Wells Fargo Foundation. That, according to releases from both organizations. Jake's is chairman and CEO of the TD Jake's Group. He also heads TD Jake's Ministries and is the founder of Dallas Mega Church, The Potter's House. 
In 2022, TD Jakes Real Estate Ventures began purchasing nearly 100 acres uh, that had formerly been Fort McPherson, an army base near downtown Atlanta to create a community with commercial and residential space. Plans for the land include mixed-income housing neighborhoods with single-family homes, townhomes, apartments, as well as food and healthcare options, green space, a bike path, even recreation centers. Wells Fargo said that for its first collaboration with the Jakes organization, it will support the Fort McPherson project as a financial partner. The Wells Fargo Foundation, as well as the TD Jakes Foundation, also announced plans to provide financial education in underserved, low and moderate income communities in Atlanta, Chicago and Dallas, and to revitalize neighborhoods by increasing home ownership and fostering business creation. Orin, we need to take a break. When we return, the story of a small church that has had a big impact in a North Carolina town. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, next up, the story we promised before the break is the story of a small church that has had a big impact in High Point, North Carolina. That's right. When Jim Summy came to High Point, North Carolina to pastor English Road Baptist Church way back in 1992, more than 30 years ago, he made his church members a little uncomfortable. He looked out the church window and saw a population of drug addicts, criminals, prostitutes, and homeless people almost as thick as the big cities that he had served in before, like New York and Atlanta. He wanted to help them, but was told by his church members that they were scared to death. So Summy uh, started talking to neighbors and men and women on the streets, inviting them to church and urged the church deacons to do the same. Some responded, but he also received his share of threats. At one point or another, about 58 windows were shot out of the church. Despite that, Summy persisted, uh, and that persistence paid off and led English Road Baptist Church to become more mission-oriented. He recalls urging, for example, an older woman in the back of the church to slide down so some street girls could share a pew with her. Summy is now 68 years old. Uh, he has a balding head and a graying beard. I can relate to that. He's the divorced father of three grown children, and he admits that 
He's done his share of bad stuff in high school and had some ups and downs in his life. But he said that that helps him connect with people who are troubled. Over the years, he also earned a reputation for helping anyone in need, even using his own money to buy medicine, diapers, and groceries. He's mentored young men in the area and, in fact, has earned a nickname, a couple of nicknames. Sometimes he's simply called Dad by the folks in the community. Other times, Uncle Jim. And the church he's come to pastor more than 30 years ago is now the center of a revitalization in High Point. That's right. In 2000, Summy and other area ministers founded West End Ministries to serve the hungry, poor, and homeless in the High Point area. It offers food, emergency assistance, temporary shelter, a community garden, and senior activities. And in 2007, Summy helped open Leslie's House, which is a shelter for single women, after meeting with a drug addict named Leslie, who would come to worship services at English Road Baptist Church now and again. But at the time, no shelter for single women without children existed, and Leslie subsequently died of a drug overdose. Summy then became determined to develop an option for women in her position. Leslie's house is operated under the West End Ministries umbrella. And in 2003, Summy also began working with the High Point Citizens Against Violence to help police reduce violent crimes by helping program participants find jobs and other resources. In 2009, he became its executive director and held that job until last December when he retired. Summy said that the ways he has served High Point are a reflection of the gospel he preaches to his congregation each week. And also, they're a great example for how a small church can have a big impact on an entire city. Summy said this, learn to live the gospel instead of just talk about it. Maybe that'll make a difference. You'll start being a Christian instead of just wearing the label, and that makes a real difference. Now, that's a great story. And we have another really good story also out of North Carolina. Well, we've reported for the last couple of years now that a lot of churches are closing, and sometimes they leave behind buildings or parsonages that need to be repurposed. Simultaneously, the country is experiencing an affordable housing crisis as well as a refugee crisis. So a group of Baptist churches, also here in North Carolina where I am, have discovered that individually these two prob- these two uh, situations, refugees and closing churches are problems, but when you link them together, they can become two solutions. These churches have vacant church-owned buildings, often homes that they can actually use for refugee housing. That's right, and they formed an organization called the Welcome House Community Network. Last Saturday, the group held its first housing and hospitality summit, and 210 congregational leaders, mostly from North Carolina, but from other states as well, uh, came to learn how to use vacant church properties to minister to refugees. The conference made the twin realities. Number one, a glut of underutilized church properties, and number two, a severe shortage of affordable housing for newly arrived refugees with little means. So far, about a dozen churches in North Carolina's Triangle region, that would be Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill, have retrofitted 
ancillary buildings for use by refugees in all about 40 buildings, including churches in Virginia, Tennessee, and Texas, have joined the Welcome House Network. The churches typically charge the families a nominal fee of about $10 a day to cover the cost of utilities and otherwise, though, provide both hospitality and community connection. Our next story also involves church buildings, church buildings tangled up in a lawsuit with important religious liberty implications. The two churches are in New Jersey, and they filed a federal lawsuit against a historic preservation board for discriminating against them in the distribution of funds because of their religious function. In other words, because they are churches. Uh, Because of recent decisions by the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, for example, the Mendham Methodist Church and the Zion Lutheran Church Long Valley decisions, they've asked the court for injunctive relief and compensatory damages. In 2003, residents established the Historic Preservation Trust Fund to distribute county tax revenue to repair, restore, and preserve historical buildings in the area. And the fund has worked well. A Masonic Lodge, a community theater, restaurant, a woman's club, they've all received grants for their restoration projects. And in fact, even one of the churches in the town received money. But in 2018, the New Jersey Supreme Court ruled that the state's religious aid clause prohibited the government from granting, providing grants to preserve the architecture of historic churches. So the Mendham Methodist Church has a building in the center of Mendham Historic District in New Jersey that dates back to 1893, and they host a congregation, a very small congregation, only about 10 members, but they also have community events in the building as well, music lessons, a jazz concert, even a thrift shop. Zion Lutheran Church Long Valley has an even longer history. Built in German Valley in 1832, the Gothic Revival-style building has been expanded over the years to fit the needs of the congregation, which currently numbers about 100. Now, this lawsuit claims that by denying these churches funding from the Historic Preservation Trust Fund, the county has engaged in intentional discrimination against them based purely on the fact that they are religious organizations. That's a violation of the First Amendment and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. So far, though, the county has not responded to the complaint. Our next story comes from Florida, and it's one we mentioned at the top of the program. A judge has sentenced a former executive at Southeastern University to 15 months in prison for wire fraud. The Department of Justice said that Brian Carroll entered a plea deal in January to culminate a case that began back in 2017 when he worked for the Florida Christian College. When Carroll, who now resides in Tennessee, was executive vice president at Southeastern, he undertook a project to redesign one of the college's websites and the digital brand. At the same time, Carroll himself created an anonymous company based in New Mexico. Carroll's company bid on the web rebranding project. In fact, they submitted a bid for $185,000. And the Department of Justice claims that Carroll recommended and promoted 
that his own company get the bid. According to officials, Carroll's recommendation led Southeastern to accept that offer, and in late 2016, the company received a string of wire transfers from Southeastern that extended over several months. The August 2021 indictment lists five wire transfers totaling a little over $114,000. The Department of Justice statement said Ingle and the Southeastern Board were unaware of Carroll's connection to the LLC. Now, Carroll had hired a separate New York-based company to handle all the work and develop the website. In fact, Carroll's company, the one that had received $114,000, actually got the job done by this New York company for about $30,000. So they were able to obtain about $155,000 in illegal profits, at least if the full amount had been paid. Carroll was given a 15-month sentence and ordered to forfeit the other $42,000, the proceeds from a single count of wire fraud for which he pleaded guilty per a deal with the prosecution. Warren, we're going to take another break. When we return, our lightning round of Ministry News of the Week. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Tithing to religious organizations is still a widespread standard among churchgoers, but how and where they give is changing. According to a new study by LifeWay Research, more than three-fourths of American Protestant churchgoers think that tithing is a biblical command that still applies today. 77% uh, said yes to that question, but that's down from 83% in 2017. 10% say that they don't believe tithing is a biblical command at all, and 13% say they're uncertain. What else did this study reveal? Well, it revealed that about half, 51%, do give 10 or more percent of their income to the church they attend, or at least so they say. Three in 10, 31%, say that they give a tithe, and 19% say they give more than a tithe. The percentage of churchgoers who give 10% of their income or more has remained relatively steady over the past five years, 51% today, 54% back in 2017. Now, more than one in five, or about 22%, say that they try to give 
but they aren't always consistent. 16% say that they regularly give less than a tithe, while another 9% say that their finances make it difficult to give. 2% say that they don't give at all. The study also revealed that even the tithers don't give all their money to their local church. Yeah, that's right. Uh, As for where they give, most of those surveyed believe that the tithe money should go to their home church, about 90%, but they also said that they were willing to make exceptions. About 55% said that giving to a Christian ministry is okay. 42% said that giving to an individual in need would meet the requirements of the tithe. About 25% said that they could give money to a secular charity and that that would be an acceptable way to meet their tithe as well. Who's in the ministry spotlight this week? Well, we have Heifer Project International uh, in the spotlight. They began in 1944 by investing with small farmers worldwide. Heifer provides farmers with technical assistance and opportunities to strengthen essential skills, including finance and business management practices that are economically and environmentally sustainable. The ministry operates in more than 21 countries in Africa, Asia, and in the Americas. Now, I should add, though, that one of the reasons that we wanted to feature Heifer, the Heifer Project is because it is huge with more than $200 million in annual revenue. That means that literally tens of thousands of evangelical Christians are giving money to that ministry each year. But the ministry doesn't get high marks from Ministry Watch. It has a one-star financial efficiency rating, which is our worst financial efficiency rating. It has a donor confidence score of only 57, which means give with caution, also not our highest score. So if you're a donor to Heifer Project International, we recommend that you go to our database and take a look at the ratings for the organization to see if it's an organization that you want to continue to support. And who did Christina Darnell feature in Ministries Making a Difference? A couple of organizations that I want to highlight. The Bible App for Kids is a 10-year collaboration between YouVersion and One Hope. And this past month, they've celebrated 100 million downloads of that app. The free app includes interactive Bible stories and activities, and it's it also includes translations of the Bible into multiple languages, including Spanish, French, and even Swahili. I'd also like to mention Alternatives Pregnancy Center, which is uh, Natasha in your neck of the woods in Denver, Colorado, just up the road uh, there. Uh, it's uh, th- They are getting out in their community. Last month, teams passed out diapers and wipes at the Denver Dream Center's Adopt a Block event and at a local job and community resource fair. They also shared about their services at the Arapahoe Community College Health Career and Resource Fair. Now, Alternatives has a five-star financial efficiency rating, which is our top score, and an A transparency grade, also our top score. You can learn more about them in the Ministry Watch 1000 database. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, just a couple. I want to mention that we have published our top 10 stories for the month of April. We do that every month uh, on the first of the month and would invite you to check it out. Amazingly, near the top of the list again is a story about Lonnie Frisbee, a story that we posted originally about five years ago on the Ministry Watch website, but 
Uh, that story was made popular by the Jesus Revolution movie, which, by the way, passed more than $50 million at the box office within the last couple of weeks. And also, I wanted to mention our extra episode with Kelsey Kramer McGinnis. Kelsey Kramer McGinnis wrote a cover story for Christianity Today about the Christian music industry. I read that story, was fascinated by it, had her on the Ministry Watch podcast. I think it makes a great conversation and would invite you to check that out as well. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Bob Smetanya, Yonat Shimron, Emily McFarlane Miller, Kim Roberts, Anne Stike, Jessica Adorade, Rod Pitzer, Christina Darnell, and you, Warren. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.